All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you. LifePoint family, welcome back. Grateful to be with you this morning. Guests, if you're new here, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus, and we're grateful to be with you as well. As uh, Alex said, we kicked off last week. Uh, we're now in week two of our Wide Open World missions series, and uh, that phrasing, Wide Open World, came from a, a pastor, uh, one of our global partners, a number of years ago, where he told us, hey, the world is wide open to the gospel. Uh, we just need to see uh, where God's at work, have our eyes open to see where he's at work and be willing to go out into the field and tell people about Jesus and join God in his activity. We need to pray that the Lord would raise up laborers for uh, the harvest, to send out into the harvest because, as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. And so while in this series we're going to talk about uh, living on mission. I hope, I hope one, we recognize, and Alex sort of mentioned this, um, we're called to live on mission no matter where we are and no matter who we are, no matter where we live. Uh, when you're, there's a phrase we use here sometimes, when you're saved, you're sent. God doesn't rescue you and redeem you and wash you clean and then say, hey, just hang tight until Jesus comes back or you die, whichever comes first. Uh, rather, he sends you back out into the mission field and says, I have work for you personally to do, for your group, for this church, for my people to do in the world. And so we're saved and then we're sent. But we are going to talk in this series, we're talking in this series, maybe a little more pointedly about how we as a church as individuals, as groups, and as a church body are called to live out that mission and how we do that at the local level, at the domestic level across the nation, across North America, and then at the global level as well. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 28 this morning. Actually, a few different passages will be in Matthew 28, we'll be in Matthew 24, and we'll be in Acts 18 as well. So we're going to be hopping around just a little bit. I told you last week, we're going to start in the Matthew 28 with the Great Commission every single week during this series and start there as just sort of level setting with, hey, what are we supposed to be doing as the people of God? Matthew 28 is where Jesus gathers up his disciples right in the aftermath. He's been crucified and then resurrected and he's about to ascend back into heaven and he gathers up this very small group of disciples. There's only 11, right, of the apostles and then the book of Acts tells us there's about 120 of them total and he gathers them up and right before he goes back to the Father and ascends into heaven, he gives them what I would say is the job description of the church. Okay, what are you now to be doing until the day that I return? And so he gathers them up and he says this in verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We noted this last week, but if you were to summarize this, I think you could summarize it this way. Hey guys, I'm in charge, therefore go make disciples and I promise I'll be with you. Right? God's power and his presence are promised to us as we step out in obedience. In your life, as you step out in obedience to Jesus and say, man, I'm going to go and we're going to talk about this this morning. And it's sometimes scary to do that. But as you do it, you know that God has promised his power. He's in charge. All authority is given to him. And he's promised his presence. I'll be with you every step of the way. And so last week, we introduced the big idea of the series. We're going to say it again today. We say yes to this 
because God is faithful. We say yes, not because we're able, not because we're so confident in our ability, not because we're so smart or we have so many resources or whatever it may be. We say yes because of the power and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. In fact, I noted last week really the absurdity of what Jesus is saying to the disciples if it's not based on his power. He just gathered a group of 120 people and told them, I want you to go make disciples of every nation on the planet. And and it can't be about their ability or their confidence in themselves because frankly, this group of people doesn't have a lot of confidence in themselves. The 11 11 who are left, right, they all deserted Jesus. Their big moment of testing came and they failed spectacularly. At the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed and he says, stay with me. And, And then the mob comes for him and the 11 flee. They run. Peter, right? The, the leader, he, he's denied Jesus three times. It's already happened. So there's not a lot. They're not a very confident group at this point in time when they look inside of themselves. And so it can't be based on their ability. It has to be based on the power and the promise and the faithfulness of God. So we say yes because God is faithful. This morning, I want to talk about one of, I think, the primary reasons we say no. Why is it that we would say no? What is it that keeps us from stepping into God's activity in our lives personally, as a church? What is it that often holds us back? If we say yes, because God is faithful, I think we say no uh, because we get fearful. I think we say no because we get afraid. So um, when I was a kid, I was probably, the way I remember this, and my parents maybe will correct me later, but um, I was probably nine or 10, right, at the time, and uh, something happened. I don't even remember what I did. I just remember that I, I did something wrong, and I was past the age where you, like, force the kid to apologize. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where they do something, you're like, you say you're sorry, right? Now make up, hug your brother, hug your sister, right? I was past that age, but, but to the place where they were beginning to give me a little autonomy, and they wanted me to come to that conclusion on my own, and so I just remember the way the conversation finished was mom basically said, hey, uh, you know, we're going to bed and mom and dad, we're down the hallway. You know where our bedroom is. If you want to come apologize, you can. And, uh, and I was too stubborn apparently to do it in that moment. I wanted to go think about what I'd done. So I went to my bed and I sat and I thought, and the way I remember this, I sat in bed for hours knowing I need to go apologize. The trouble was there was this long, dark hallway between our bedroom, my brother's and our bedroom and my parents' bedroom. And I was petrified to go down that hallway. Now, I remember just like looking at it being like, oh man, we lived in an old house and it was, we're out in the country and creaky floorboards. And so I just sat sort of paralyzed in fear in my bed going, Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do. I need to go apologize, but I can't do it. And the morning rolled around, I went to sleep and morning time, right? Got to talk to my mom and she's like, you know, what happened? And I'm like, mom, I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry that I, I, I was scared to go down the hallway, right? And I'm sorry for what I did. That's the only reason I didn't come down. I'm really sorry. And, you know, mom was like, look, you had your chance. I'm never forgiving you. I'm <laughs> Obviously I'm kidding, right? So mom, mom loved Jesus and she like, she was gracious. It's okay, Kale, right? But here's the, the point of the story is this. I let fear rule my little heart to the point where I said no to the thing that I knew was right. I let fear rule my heart to the point where I said no to the thing that I knew God was calling me to do. And here's the thing, I was nine or 10. I I don't think that goes away as we get to adulthood, right? Some of us aren't afraid of the dark anymore. Some of us are, right? But, But it's other things. 
It's other things that we fear. That battle still goes on inside of your heart and inside of mine. I think we know that from experience, that there are times we feel like God is calling us to do something and, and we just look around at all the circumstances and we get afraid. And I, not only from experience, it's something Jesus addresses over and over and over. As I was thinking about today in this message, I really feel like the Lord just brought to mind that fear not refrain that we see all across the Old Testament, all across the New Testament, where God consistently comes to his people saying, guys, don't be afraid. It's, it's all through the Old Testament. The prophets coming to the people of Israel when they've gotten themselves in a mess for the hundredth time, they say, don't be afraid, right? God's gonna, he, he's gonna help, cry out to him and he will help. You see God saying it to Moses, to Joshua, to others, don't be afraid for I am with you. And you see Jesus saying it all across the New Testament over and over and over to his disciples, to different groups of people. And he says it about all sorts of different things. Guys, don't be afraid of this sickness or this illness. Don't be afraid of not having enough materially, financially. Seek first the kingdom and I will provide for you. Guys, don't be afraid of suffering and persecution in the path of obedience. I know it's hard, but none of that suffering, none of that persecution will be wasted. God's using it to shape you into his image. Jesus actually tells people, don't even be afraid of death itself in this life because you know that your eternal life is secure in him. He keeps telling people over and over, fear not, don't be afraid. So there must be something in, in us that is, uh, there's a bit of a proclivity toward fear, towards being afraid and taking our eyes off of Christ. So I wanna take us to just two different passages here, Matthew 14 and Acts 8, to really two different characters in the New Testament. I told you last week we'd be in the Old Testament for three weeks, so I just pivoted on that a little bit this week because I feel like these two stories illustrate this so well. And I, I hope that you find them particularly encouraging in some ways and powerful given who we're talking about here. Because the two stories are about the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Ultimately, they're about Jesus. But, but these are two of the main characters in the stories are the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. These guys who led the early church. These guys who God used in such spectacular ways to push forward the Great Commission. And yet, they dealt clearly with being afraid and having moments where they were tempted to veer off course because of that fear. So let's look at Peter first. Matthew 14, the context here, Jesus is going to speak to all the disciples. It's after he's fed the 5,000. He's been doing ministry after the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so it says this, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And this is not the main point here, but I will note, you see Jesus do that often where he goes off alone to pray. You see him do it after big moments of ministry where he's probably physically tired, spiritually tired. You also see him do it before big moments of ministry when he needs help as, he, as he's about to choose the disciples, he's about to go to the cross. You see him, he'll get alone and just spend time with God. And I'm reminded in my own life, I have to keep telling myself this, so maybe some of us feel this way as well. Uh, we live at a very, very fast pace and we're often very busy and sometimes you're gonna feel this thing in you that goes, man, I feel like what I need more than anything right now is just to go be alone with God, to be quiet 
and to get alone with the Lord. And, and here's what I would say to you. If you sense that, like, man, I'm going 100 miles an hour and I feel like I just need to slow down and go be alone with God, here's what you should do. Slow down and go be alone with God. <laughs> Pay attention to that. When you feel like, man, I'm running too fast, reprioritize, move things in your schedule. It is worth you slowing down and going alone and being with God. Now, uh, you probably won't find any mountains around here, right? But you can find a small hill, a park, right? Somewhere that's just alone for you, that's quieter. Sometimes I'll go to local parks here in the city or in our county and I just try to get alone. Take my Bible, go be alone with the Lord, slow down and hear from him. And it says, when evening came, he, Jesus, was there alone. But the boat this time, <clears throat> by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in, here's our word, fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Some commentators say you could almost translate that it is I as take heart, I am. That's the way God reveals himself in the Old Testament, right? He just says, I am who I am. And so Jesus, the, let's be clear, the main point of this passage, Matthew is showing us that Jesus really is the son of God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a prophet. He's the son of God in the flesh. And he controls this very lake and this very storm that they're encountering right now. He is the son of God worthy of our worship. And Jesus comes to them and says, guys, don't be afraid. I know this is bad. I know it looks bad. I know you think you're gonna drown, but don't be afraid because I'm here and I'm with you. My power, my presence. In verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. In obedience, right, catch this, in obedience to the Lord, Peter gets out of the boat and he should, he gets knocked on a fair bit as we're going to see in a moment what happens next, but he does get out of the boat. He leaves where it's comfortable and he finds himself following Jesus, doing what he could not do in his own strength, empowered by Jesus to do something he could never do in his own strength. He starts to walk on the water, but then this happens. Look at verse 30. That when he saw the wind, and I think that means, right, saw the wind and the waves, the impact of the wind. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. There it is again, same word as earlier, fear. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I wanna pause there and just remind us, before we read verse 31, I want to remind us, as verse 31 is going to, of the character of Jesus. Because um, my sense is some of us, when we think about God, we think about God a little bit like the boot and us as the ant. And it's like, man, if I misstep, God's just waiting to sort of crush me. And some of us are tempted to read, we think verse 31 is going to be like, and Jesus was like, too bad, bro. You should, have, you should not have doubted, right? And he let Peter drown or something like that, or he gave him a lecture before he grabs onto him. But I just note verse 31, the first thing it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. As you go on with the verse, Jesus, does he correct him? Yes. Does he rebuke him lovingly? Yes. But the first thing he does is he takes hold of him. 
before the rebuke comes the rescue. Before the correction just comes the saving hand of Jesus to reach out and grab hold of him and say, hey, I've got you. I've got you. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Again, the main point Matthew's trying to get across to us is, hey guys, Jesus is in charge. <laughs> he is God in the flesh. He commands the wind and the waves. But I, I do think we learn something from Peter and his involvement here as well. Do you remember last week when we were talking about Abraham and we said that Abraham got a lot of things wrong in his life, but one of the things that he got right was that when God spoke, Abraham believed God. And we said last week specifically that Abraham looked to God's promises, not to his circumstances. That Ab Abraham looked to God's promises, not to his circumstances. This moment is a little bit the opposite of that. Peter, in this moment, initially he does. He looks to the, the word of God. Jesus says, come, and he gets out of the boat and he begins to walk. But as he begins to walk, what happens? He stops keeping his eyes, takes his eyes off Jesus and starts looking around at the wind and the waves. And as he looks around him rather than ahead, as his eyes are no longer fixed on his Lord and Savior, but instead begins to notice everything that's going on around him and the noise and the wind and the waves, he begins to get afraid. And when he gets afraid, he begins to doubt who Jesus is and what Jesus has said. He forgets what Jesus has called him to do. Jesus said, come, come toward me, Peter, walk. He gets a distorted view of reality, right? We said last week, right, we walk by faith, not by sight. See, Peter begins to walk by sight, not by faith. Instead of looking at the one who controls these winds and these waves, who created them, he begins just to look at the creation itself and he gets fearful and then he gets doubtful and then he begins to sink. And some of us, you may hear that and say, Cale, is that like a metaphor for life? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think this really happened. I think this really happened. Peter really experienced this. And I think what Peter experienced here is also a lesson for you and for me for our entire lives about the necessity of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because here's the reality. Guys, sometimes the wind is strong and sometimes the waves are high and sometimes life is hard. The Christian life is not easy. Life itself is not easy. It's not always comfortable. And sometimes things happen that we wish wouldn't have happened. And sometimes we do get scared. And sometimes, again, the wind is strong and the waves look large. And in those moments, it is critical that we keep our eyes fixed on the one who commands those winds and those waves. That we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Last week, I asked you to do two things. If you remember the application from last week, I asked you, hey, what's one thing? What's one thing that, one step you need to take to greater align your life with the Great Commission? Right, with this calling on your life personally, if you're a believer in Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you're here today, we said last week, hey, before you sign up for the mission of God, you, we want you to come to know the God of mission. But if, if you know the Lord and you have trusted him with your life, you're saying, hey, the Great Commission is for me. God has called me to be a part of this, to make disciples wherever he places me. We said, hey, what's one step you need to take to greater align your life with the Great Commission? 
We also said, hey, please pray toward the WOW offering. Um, so for those of you unfamiliar with the WOW offering, June 4th, end of the series, so next Sunday, it's the only time in an entire year that we will take up a public offering. Only time. So if you're a guest, if you're new here to LifePoint, um, if you're here for 52 weeks in a year, 51 of those, we won't ask you to give. Um, there's one time a year on WOW Sunday where that day and everything else given that week, we give away toward mission. We, uh, helps us with uh, supporting our local partners, helps us support our domestic partners, helps us support our global partners, helps with the cost of launching a new campus as we try to reach a new city, and it helps with uh, sending people out. We help support members of our church get out into the mission field. And I, I shared some numbers with you last week. I said, look guys, we, we sent 84 people into the global mission field last year. And we're praying and hoping towards sending 150 people into the global mission field over the next 12 months. That we wanna start uh, two new global partnerships and three new domestic church planting partnerships in addition to maintaining all of our current support. And I told you guys last week, right? Last year's WOW offering was about $202,000. And this year, we anticipate it costing $325,000 to do everything we feel like God has called us to do. And I joked with you last week, it doesn't take a math major to know that's a big difference. It's a big difference. But we've also grown a lot as a church and we feel like God is calling us into more. So I asked you to begin, hey, will you begin to pray toward what you'll give towards that and sacrifice toward that? And listen, I, I'm aware just from reading the Bible, as you guys pray, as we as a church pray about, Lord, what's one step I need to take to align my life with the Great Commission? Lord, can I sacrifice financially to give toward this? There's going to be opposition to that. The wind's gonna pick up and the waves get bigger. Some of us you're processing through right now, like I know, Lord, that thing in my life, I need to get into a group for the first time. I, I don't have community, I'm isolated. And as you think about starting to get into a group, the fears rise up. You start looking around and man, I've tried this before and it didn't go well. I just, you know, nobody's gonna like me if they really know me. For some of us, it's, you've never given towards something like this in your life. You're always used to, you pay money and you get something really tangible back. The idea of giving towards something that feels more nebulous, that's more big picture, like, man, we're gonna help over the next year send people out into the mission field. That's a, maybe a foreign concept to you. And you start praying about that and there's opposition to, man, I got, we got a lot of bills coming up. I don't know if we can give toward this. I, Lord, I, is it really worth it to do that? For some of us, it's, you know, we talked last week about just going across the street to your neighbor and you're like, I know, I know the Lord is calling me to do that, but I'm scared. It's gonna be awkward. I don't feel like I'm a good people person. I don't feel like my people skills are all that great. We say yes because he's faithful, not because we always feel like we're able. The wind and the waves pick up. I'm praying for you, we're praying for you, right? We were gathering this morning just to pray for us, for this church, that that opposition, we wouldn't give in to that and we wouldn't give in to fear, but instead we would say, Lord, I know this is the next step you're asking me to take in my walk with you and I wanna keep my eyes fixed on you and not get distracted by the wind and the waves and the voices outside and sometimes, if we're honest, the voices inside as well. Eyes up fixed on Jesus. And don't be afraid. Now, that's the Apostle Peter. We'll take us to Acts 18 and look at an episode here with the Apostle Paul. Here's my hunch, right? If you're anything like me, you can resonate more with the Apostle Peter, right? You look at Peter's life and you're like, 
I resonate with that guy, right? He failed spectacularly sometimes and sometimes he's a little bit impetuous and he rushes out ahead. But when you think about the apostle, so it sort of makes sense with Peter. You're like, yeah, he probably was afraid sometimes. Paul, maybe you think of Paul and you're like, that dude is just this gospel sharing machine. And I just, he didn't seem like he ever dealt with fear. Just, I mean, just from city to city to city to city. And yet there's a moment in Acts chapter 18 where God comes to the apostle Paul and has to tell him, don't be afraid, Paul. So here's what's happened. Um, Paul has, if you know Paul's story, right? He hated the church, was the chief persecutor of the church. Then God saves him. Jesus confronts him personally, says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? Paul, major turn in life, becomes one of the chief champions of Christ and goes out and he ends up going from city to city to city sharing the gospel. But as he does that, incredible results and also really intense persecution. So his pattern was he would go into a city and he would share at the Jewish synagogue first. Before he would go to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people, he'd start with talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And some of them, he would try to convince them, guys, Jesus really is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. And some would believe, but many ended up just hating Paul because they felt like he had abandoned the Jewish faith and now he was this Christian and so they would intensely persecute him. He gets flogged. He gets stoned, right? I mean, rocks thrown at him till he's almost dead. At one point in time, he's shipwrecked and, and these groups of Jewish folks, his brothers and sisters would literally chase him out of a city. They would stir up the city till they ran him out of the city and then sometimes they would follow him to the next city and I would imagine it gets tiring after a while. Until finally Paul comes to a city called Corinth. And Corinth is this major Roman city, this metropolitan city, multicultural. God's got some really great work he's going to do there. But there's this moment, Paul comes in, he begins to speak to the Jewish synagogue and the people begin to slander him. And it says literally abuse him, like verbally abusive toward him. And Paul just sort of hits his moment, his blow up moment where he looks at him and he says, you know what? Your blood be on your own heads. I'm done with you. From now on, I'm going to go talk to the Gentiles. And that's where we pick up in Acts 18, verse 9. We're in this moment where it seems like maybe Paul is tempted to just sort of say, you know what, <laughs> forget this. I don't know if he's discouraged. It seems like he's fearful a little bit because otherwise God wouldn't say this to him. But verse 9 says this, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Paul, don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am, what? With you. Same thing, right? Jesus said to the, in the Great Commission, I am with you, Paul, my presence, my power in your life, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. 18 months is the second longest stay for Paul anywhere. He stays in Corinth after maybe getting close to throwing in the white flag, being fearful. God says, don't be afraid, Paul. I'm here with you. You keep your eyes fixed on me and you keep going. And he stays there for 18 months. And it, look, it's not easy. <laughs> if you've read First and Second Corinthians, his letters to these churches reflect, it was a difficult relationship there. There was a lot of tension and conflict even in the church. And Paul actually at one point in time in 1 Corinthians tells them, guys, I came to you in much fear and trembling. This was hard for me. And yet, God in his grace meets Paul there. Just like he will meet you and I 
in our moments of fear and in our moments of failure. And the story of the scriptures is God using sinful, broken people to accomplish his good plans. And so God comes to Paul here in this moment and says, I know what's happened. I see where you are, but don't be afraid. Don't give up. There are a lot of people in this city. I believe this is true of our city. There are people who are gonna respond to the gospel, people who are gonna find new life in Christ, and God is inviting us, calling us, commanding us to be a part of that. And I don't want us to give in to fear and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know that I can keep doing this anymore. And I, I know, you know, for some of us, it's the, it's the wind and the waves and the circumstances. Some of us, it's maybe something that's happened in the past. You've been hurt in the past, church hurt, relationally hurt. You, maybe you stepped into what you felt like was ministry and it just didn't go well. You tried to serve, you tried to share the gospel and life beat you up a little bit. And so there's this fear of, Lord, if I re-engage, is it gonna look just like that? Lord, I'm afraid to re-engage. I'm afraid, to, I'm just tired. I'm afraid to keep going. And maybe you need to hear the Lord say to you today what he said to the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Keep going. Or for some of us, it's time to re-engage. I want to leave us and close out here. I want to leave us with two thoughts, just two statements that maybe encapsulate all this, and then I want to close out in Romans chapter 8 just with some wonderful promises. Two statements that came to mind this week uh, that I hope summarize this well. One, we can't make faith-based decisions when we're operating out of fear. We can't make faith-based decisions when we're operating out of fear. Now, I wanna be really clear on something. This does not mean, that statement does not mean we're never afraid. Paul was afraid, Peter was afraid, right? You and I are human, and there are gonna be moments in life where we take a look at the wind and waves, and it just, it, it rises up in us. I've felt it personally. Lord, what if this happens? Lord, what if this happens? Lord, what if this happens? What I am saying and what I think the scriptures teach us is, look, we're gonna feel those moments of fear, but we have a choice in that moment to either give in to that and let it rule our heart such that we, we I'm just gonna stay in the boat. <laughs> I'm not getting out there. Or we can go back to the Lord and to his promises and say, Lord Jesus, you promised me your power and your presence, and I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna get out of the boat. I'm gonna keep walking. I see the wind and the waves, but I'm gonna put my eyes back on you and I'm not gonna let fear, God help me not to let fear rule my heart in such a way that I say no to the things I know you're calling me to do. And secondly, right, it's very connected to that. As we think about the future, some of us, my sense is, right, we're, we're kind of paralyzed in fear about what's gonna happen What's gonna happen? Look at the direction the culture's going. What's gonna happen? What's it gonna be like for our kids? What's it gonna be like for our grandkids? What's it gonna be like for me personally? Oh Lord, to the point where it's paralyzing, this fear of the future. And so I just wanna encourage you with something today. <laughs> we need not fear what the future may hold because we trust the one who holds the future. We need not fear what the future may hold because we trust, we serve, we are held by the one who holds the future in his hands. I, I, when you look across the pages of scripture, guys, 
you see a God who is not only good and kind and gracious, but who's all-powerful and all-knowing. And part of what makes us fear the future is, I don't know what's going to happen. And let's just be honest, right? As humans, when we don't know something, we don't understand it, we tend to fear it. But we serve the God who is the Lord of time. And we don't know what's going to happen, but He does. And that doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen. That doesn't mean from an earthly perspective, it's not going to be hard. We're promised suffering and difficulty in this life. But it does mean that we can trust him. Lord, you see what's around the corner. You see where we're headed. You see where this family is headed. You see where this person is headed. You know what's going to happen. And you're good. You promise me you are working all things for my good and for your glory. And so we need not fear the future. When we do fear it, when we find ourselves being afraid, there's a choice there. Oh, Lord, will you help me not to be afraid, but instead to trust you? And I want to leave you with Romans chapter 8. As I was praying this week, and I just said, Lord, it was one particular day where I said, Lord, I just personally need a promise for today. I pulled out the Bible app on the Version Bible app and the verse of the day that day was from Romans 8 which is what the Lord had brought to mind for me and so I want to read to you from Romans 8 verse 32 and Romans 8 38 and 39 for some of us you hear this idea that God governs the future and maybe you're like that's really cool and I believe that that God governs the future generally but what about me personally like does God govern my life does he love me Does he have good things in store for me? Is he gonna use me? Can I trust him for my life personally? And I would say to that, well, have you trusted him with your life? Have you given your life to him? The gospel is that God so loved you that he gave his only son for you in your place. Jesus lived the life that you should have lived and that I should have lived but couldn't because of sin. And then he died on the cross, the death that we deserved. And then rose again that we might have new life. Do you believe that? And have you trusted him with your life? And if your answer to that is yes, then you can claim these promises as your own. Look at Romans 8, verse 32. Paul says this, Paul, the man who had endured so much, says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's saying, guys, if God loved you and I so much that he gave Jesus, he gave up his own son, his only begotten son, in your place, if Jesus gave his own life, will he not graciously give us all the things that we need? Can we not trust him? And he goes on in Romans 8, 38 and 39, talking about the love of God that he has for us and how strong that love is. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The reality is, guys, if you've trusted your life to Jesus, you are in this relationship with him and he's placed his love on your life, and there's nothing that can separate you from that love. Cancer cannot separate you from the love God has for you. Tragedy can't separate you from the love that God has for you. Failure cannot separate you from the love that God has for you personally. Depression can't separate you from the love that God has for you personally. Even death itself cannot separate you from God's love placed on your life 
in and through Christ. You say, how can we know that for sure? How can even death not? Because Jesus already faced death and he beat it. He rose from the grave and he holds the power. As As he told us in Matthew 28, I'm in charge. All authority has been given to him. We go make disciples and he promises to be with us. Don't be afraid. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word. And Lord, right now, I just want to take a moment with all of us. And and I'm going to ask that you, uh, as we pray, that you take a moment to think about something. Um, Again, my sense is that for some of us, there's just maybe general fear or maybe something we're fearing in particular. And it's keeping us from taking those steps in obedience that God is calling us to take. And so I wanna give you a moment right now just to reflect on that question. Hey, what is it that you're afraid of? Some of us, you know it immediately. Some of us, it might take a minute, but I want you to take a moment to ask the Lord for discernment on that. And if you get the sense, man, fear is just ruling my life. I wanna ask that you take a moment and you give that to Jesus today. That you hand that fear over to the Lord. You trust him with your future, with your time, with your finances, with your life, with your abilities, with your lack of ability. And just pray right now and say, Lord, here is that fear. Will you help me to trust? continue to pray and you offer that over to the Lord. I just want to say if you're here today and you've never taken the step to trust Jesus with your life. And when I said, hey, before you sign up for the mission of God, we want you to know the God of mission. That relationship can start today. And if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and you're ready to surrender your life to him, there's no reason to wait pray now. You can pray with me. You can pray in your own words. Lord, here I am. Forgive me of my sin. Heal me of my brokenness. And Jesus, today I place my faith in you. Thank you for saving me. And for the rest of my life, use me, Lord, however you want. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.